What happens when you end up in a situation you have absolutely no business being in? Y'all remember the analogy from last week, right? We're the dumb rabbit in the bushes. And there's a box out there with a carrot dangling in midair. How many of you know carrots don't levitate from the ground or hang in the middle of the air? They grow from the ground. They grow where you're planted. If there's a carrot dangling in the air, guess what, rabbit? It's a trick. You're being lured, drawn away from the safe place, the protective place. And you are nothing but being baited. We talked about understanding this is a trap, this is a test, and I must pass this test. What about when you leave the bushes and you end up in the box, carrot in mouth, and you fail the test? What about those times, and maybe, maybe it's not even a tempting situation. Maybe the context for your life right now is not even something that's uh, some sinful temptation. Maybe, maybe it's just I'm in a position I don't need to be in. And I'm not talking about contemplating it. Listen, th this, this sermon's going to have two applications. One, it's going to have an application to members of the audience who are in a situation you don't need to be in. That's a prescriptive message. Okay, you're in it. Now, here's how you get out of it. Number two, there's another member of the audience, and it's everybody else who's not in it. It's the people who will one day be in it. Because everybody in this room, sooner or later, is going to find themselves in a situation you ain't got no business being in. Somebody say amen. Talk to me this morning. And if you've never been in one, I'm assuming you're an infant. If you stay on this planet long enough, eventually, can I just get real with you? Money will take you into a situation you ain't got no business being in. Marriage will take you into a situation you ain't got no business being in. Something about this world, something about society, something about your decision. Here we go. You will put yourself in a situation you ain't got no business being in. So one of two things is going to happen. Either you're in it and you need out of it, or you're going to be in it. And let me tell you why I know you're going to be in it. Can I tell you how confident I am in everybody in this room like myself? You're stupid just like me. You have flesh. You have sinful capabilities. You're, you, you look, you, you're, you're capable of doing anything. All right? You are wrapped in a carnal skin. You are wrapped in a flesh. You have a nature about you that wants to do the wrong thing. Now, if you're saved, you have been born again. You put your faith in Christ. You've been miraculously transformed. Your spirit's been renewed. You're saved, but your flesh is not saved. Your body has to die. In fact, we, we sing these songs, and it's so confusing. We're like, I'm free in Christ. Your spirit's free. But as long as you're trapped in that box called your body, you have a sin nature, and you're forever chained to everything it likes. And, 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 and listen, I, let's, let's just get real. I, I, my transparency level is at 100%. Like, I'm at the point where I, I feel like I owe you so much honesty from the text and experience as a Christian that I'm actually at the point where I'm willing to say almost anything. Like, I, I, my filter fell off, all right? Are you with me? For the last six years, I've just been like, I got to be real with people, and I got to let people know how hard this is, how real this is, but I got to let them know how, how we need to 
fight for what this word says and fight for what we know is right because we have a flesh and we have a world and we have a devil trying to pull us back into the wrong every day of our lives. Sin is fun. It's so fun. It is. Any preacher that tells you it's not fun is a liar. It's fun. Your flesh likes to sin. It just feels good. Can we, can we say sin is fun together? Sin is fun. Can we say that again? Sin is fun. Let's all say it like we're the only church on the block that will ever do this together. Sin is fun. It is. It's fun to your flesh. But it grieves your spirit. It bothers the saved you. It bothers the new you. But there's something about our flesh. And, and we're just capable of anything. Anything. With anyone? You say, oh, no, no, man, not me. Praise God. Amen. I'm saved. Heaven bound with a hammer down. Praise God. No, 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 no. You're capable of anything. And I know you are because the skeletons in your closet are pointing their crooked bony finger at you saying you're a lie. You're capable of anything. You are. And I am too. And the reality we have to face and answer is what if you end up in a situation you don't need to be in or what if you're in one that you don't need to be in? How do you escape that? How do you get out of that? How do you find a way out of that kind of mess? Well, I want to turn your attention. Before we get to Genesis 19, real quickly, I want you to look at 2 Peter chapter 4. Simon Peter, who's experienced failure all the time, found himself in positions he never needed to be in, gives us a very unique perspective on the character of God regarding such situations. Look at this. This is serious scripture. This right here reminds you that God is a just and a God of judgment. For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved into judgment. And look what God did. He spared not the old world, but saved Noah the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing the flood upon the world of the ungodly. Verse 6, and he turned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them with an overthrow. When he did this, look, he was making them an example unto those that after should live ungodly. God was saying with Sodom and Gomorrah, this is a preview if you want to operate however you think you can outside of my justice and outside of my judgment. Notice what it says in verse 7. And he delivered just Lot, vexed with the filthy conversation, that's lifestyle or behavior, of the wicked. Now, when it says he delivered just Lot, it doesn't mean he delivered just Lot. It means just is being ascribed to Lot standing with God. He was just. Remember the scripture that says the just shall live by faith? That word just means justified. So when he says he delivered just Lot, he's saying that Lot was just or justified, which means Lot was a believer. In our context of a New Testament ideology, Lot was saved, but Lot was in a place he did not need to be in. In fact, verse 8 says, For that righteous man dwelling among them in seeing and hearing. Look what Peter says. He vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. He put himself around something that poisoned him. He got around something that rubbed off. He assimilated himself into a very 
dangerous situation. I, I've, I've heard this so many times from new Christians over the course of the last six years since this church started. Somebody got saved or somebody turned their life over to Christ and started living for God and they said something like this. I'm going to quit my job. I'm like, oh, is God leading you somewhere? Is he opening a door somewhere else? No, I work with a bunch of sinners. I'm like, what, what? Yeah, all them people at work, all they cuss and all this, all they tell these jokes and I just, I ain't going to be around. I can't be around. It makes me want to do the same thing. I'm like, all right, first of all, the answer is not getting away from wickedness because no matter where you go, you're going to work around it. The world is darkness. You're the little match, buddy. Stay there and light up the dark. Don't go look for another place of matches. The whole point of you being there is to be the light. I just got to get away from it. I can't handle it. Listen, I understand that. I understand. But the, the, the reality is you can't always get away from it. There's a difference when you put yourself in a position that can kill you. Lot put himself in a position and assimilated into something that was unlawful. And look what verse 9 says. The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations. God knows how to get you out of the situations you never needed to be in. Let me give you some backstory on this fellow named Lot. Lot and Abraham were family. Abraham was the uncle. Lot was the nephew. There was a strife between their herdsmen one day, and they decided we need to go separate ways if we want to keep the right kind of family ties. So Abraham told Lot, you just pick whichever area you want. You tell me where you want to live, you move there, I'll go the opposite way. And Lot looks at the land, he says, well, I got first pick. I'm going to take all this. This is beautiful right here. And that city on the horizon, man, what a view. I'll pick this. Abraham said, fine, all right, you take that, I'll go this way. And so the Bible teaches and tells us that Lot camped out in these plains. What he did not know is camping out in these plains, there was a city on the horizon, a city called Sodom and a city called Gomorrah, right next to the Dead Sea. And so he's camped out in the, in the, in the desert, and the Bible says that he pitches his tent, sets up his tent facing Sodom and Gomorrah. So I want you to get this. Every single night when he goes to bed, the tent door is open and he can see on the horizon the nightlife of the city. He can hear that club music. He can see the lights flashing. He can see all the Lyft and Uber cars coming back and forth. Some of y'all need to live a little. He was yelping, yelping all the lounges and the clubs and all the discotheques. All the old school people appreciate the discotheque right there. He, he, he was checking it out, and it was drawing him in and drawing him in and drawing him in. And that tent that was set up in the desert, in the plains, started moving closer and moving closer. And then he got him a real estate agent and found him an apartment. And he signed a lease, got him a job in Sodom, joined the gym in Sodom. Huh? Got, found his favorite coffee spot in the morning in Sodom. Just set up his life in Sodom. Found a girl. Her name was Lot's wife. Don't know what her name was. Married Lot's wife. They had kids. They're growing up in the city of Sodom. All the while, I want you to remember this now, all the while, this dude is what you and I would say is a Christian. That terminology didn't belong back then. Didn't have its place. 
He was a believer. He was one of God's people. And he's moved in to the Las Vegas of the Old Testament. I ain't talking about visiting. I ain't talking about booking a price line. I'm talking about he lives there on the strip. He's in it, guys. And before it's over with, he's neck deep in a situation he has no business being in. He is in something that is going to destroy him. And God hears this cry coming out of Sodom and Gomorrah. And the rightful judgment of God and the rightful justice of God says, I've got to take care of business. And he's going to destroy this city. And God recognizes one of my kids is in this city. One of my people is in this city. And in fact, Abraham as an advocate, an intercessor, begins to plead to God before he destroys Sodom and Gomorrah. And he says, if there's some righteous in the city, would you not spare the city? And what's interesting is Abraham, like an advocate, is an intercessor that stands between God and the judgment he's about to pour out on the city. And there's a picture of Christ right here in this story where you and I in the very target and crosshairs of God's judgment. Let me say something about God. God is not fair. God is not fair. Don't you ever expect God to be fair because if God was fair, every one of us would be in hell right now. Our sin has separated us from God. Our nature has separated us from God. Our choices separate us from God. By birth, our DNA has separated us from God because we've been born in the very image and the identity of our fallen grandparents, Adam and Eve, and we have been separated from God. And I want to stop and take a second and say, thank God he is not fair because he gives me what I don't deserve. The fact I'm forgiven tells me God is not fair. The fact I've had my sins washed away by his blood tells me that God is not fair. The fact that grace has come upon my home, been upon my kids, and rescued my marriage tells me that God is not fair. The very fact you can find my name written down in the Lamb's book of life in heaven right now tells me that God is not fair. I think I ought to have some folk in the room help me brag on the good name of God. If you're glad he wasn't fair when he should have been, he's not fair today, and he won't be fair tomorrow. Because he's a God of grace. Somebody help me lift him up. If you know God ain't fair. No, he's not. He's not fair. And God listens to Abraham, stays his judgment, and sends a rescue mission into Sodom. Two angels, chapter 19 tells us, go into Sodom. Go through the gate. Find Lot and get into his house. God has a mission for you if you're in a bad situation. I want you to hear this. If you put yourself somewhere you don't belong, I want you to know something. God's got a mission set up to get you. God's got a bailout plan. He's got a breakout plan. He's got a rescue attempt right now. It's, it's, it's a covert operation, and God doesn't care what depths he has to go to to get you out of where you are. I want you to hear me. God's not afraid of Sodom, and he's not afraid of Gomorrah. He's not afraid of picking the lock on the gate. He's not afraid of knocking your front door down because God sent them two angels as a witness and a testimony to Lot. I know you have 
have went to the depths of stupidity. I know sin has taken you farther than you wanted to go. It has cost you more than you wanted to pay and it's kept you longer than you wanted to stay. But I came in here a lot to tell you, you're my kid, you're my boy, you're my people and family. Don't give up on family and I don't care where you've been. I don't care what you've done. I don't care who you did it with. I don't care how long you were there while you were doing it. I'm busting in. I'm breaking in and we're bailing out. I'm on a mission to take you home. Let me ask all the moms and dads in the house. If your children were trapped in a burning home, you wouldn't set up in the, in the front yard and watch the house go down in flames because a parental instinct would kick up inside of you and you'd kick through that burning house. You'd kick through that burning door. You'd crawl through a window. You'd get burned yourself. You'd choke on enough smoke to put somebody in the grave in order to do what you had to do to find your kids. And let me say this. When you're in a situation that's going up in flames, it doesn't bother God. It doesn't scare God. It doesn't freak God out. It doesn't put God off. He's in the business of a rescue mission to get us out of situations we had no business being in. God comes with a message and that message to Lot is the same message to you. God says, I'm putting an end to this situation. I'm going to take care of this. Let me say something. Right now you're in a situation you think God can't handle and God wants me to tell you something. He can handle it and he's going to handle it. He's going to take matters into his own hands because you had a shot at having matters in your own hands and you messed it up. And God says, all right, now I'm going to take matters in my own hands. But I want you to understand something about this situation. It's parenthetical. It's a parenthesis. It's got a beginning and it's got an end. And this little situation is just an insert. It's an insert in the story, but it is not forever. The way your marriage looks right now, it's not forever. The way your mind is warped, it's not forever. This is, this is parenthetical. It's just an insert in the timeline. I'm going to get you out of this. I'm going to take care of this situation. My God, how many of you are glad God has what it takes to handle our Sodom and Gomorrahs that we had no business being in? God says, I'm going to put an end to this. I'm going to fix this. I'm going to take care of this. He's got a mission, but he's got a message. He says, we got to get out of here. we got to get out of here. The Bible says that when God came into Lot's house through the form of the two angels, the angels had taken on bodily form. They looked like two men. They're inside of Lot's house. They said, all right, you got anybody here that we can take out? I'm here to get you. I'm not leaving unless you come with me. I'm not leaving unless you go with me. And then we're going to burn this thing to the ground. Are you with me or not? And the Bible says that the two men grabbed Lot and his wife. And the other angel grabbed both of his daughters. And they drug them outside of the city. And dropped them off in the plain. And the Bible says in Genesis 19 and verse 16 that God was being, listen to this, merciful to him. He wasn't just on a mission. He didn't just have a message, but he had mercy on Lot. I think, I think Lot met two of God's angels. I think he met two angels named Grace and Mercy. I think Grace 
grabbed his daughters by the hand. And I think Mercy grabbed him and his wife by the hand. And I think Mercy literally drug Lot out of this situation he didn't need to be in. How many of y'all had Mercy pay you a visit in your Sodom and Gomorrah and drag you out of a situation you never need to be in? Mercy got between them and judgment. Mercy got between them and the fire and the brimstone. And it was mercy that drug Lot out. I'm reminded of Psalm 136 and 26 times in this psalm is the phrase, his mercy endureth forever. You know that word endureth, that old King James R-E-T-H ending means to put up with through it all. To stick by something or someone through it all. Do you know mercy is the glue that keeps God on you when you try to get away from God? Mercy is the stick to inness that God applies to your life. And he stays with you through it all. How many of you, like your pastor, have lived a life that looks like a roller coaster? And if God would have fell out of the bucket, he'd have done it by now. And he's still riding. He's still there. He's still with us. And the places we took us and the places life took us couldn't shake God off of our roller coaster. Come on, somebody put your hands together. Let's give him some praise if you know there's power in God's mercy. I want you to get this scene. And I'm I'm about to close. I want you to get this scene. Mercy has come. I made this bed. I've laid in it. I had the demons fluff my pillows and the devil tuck me in. And I said, I want it this way. And like a father pitieth his child, God has mercy on Lot and says, I'm not going to let you do that to yourself. I got my rescue squad in there. I'm bringing the message. Here's the mercy. I'm opening the door to the city, fool. I'm trying to get you. Y'all get frustrated with your kids and you start talking through your teeth? If I'm God, I'm at the point where I'm talking through my teeth. Huh? Sucking my lips. He says, the door's open. Get out while the getting out is good. I'm giving you a way out. I'm, I'm, I'm actually willing, what, what's this? I'm willing to drag you out of this thing and get you just beyond the gate of the city. And if I get you beyond the gate of the city, can you walk the rest out? Can, can you get as far removed from this thing as you? If I get you out, y'all, y'all are praying in prayers. God. Uh, <laughs> just get me out of this thing, Come on, y'all. Y'all looking at me so dadgum religious right now. You ever had, you ever had in them prayer? Lord, if you just, Lord God, you get spiritual and start praying like your pastor. Oh, God, yeah. Lord Jesus, if you'll get me out of this thing right now. And he does. Huh? He does. If God was like me and you, would be like, uh-uh, man. Enjoy your bed and your bed bugs. <laughs> Enjoy. And God, God said, uh, I 
can't, I can't let, I can't let this, I got to get you, I got to get you. Now, and I'll do my part. I'll do my part. I'll get you out. I'll do my part. I'll get you out. But now I need you to do your part and stay out. Get away from what I got you out of. But you know what is amazing? If you look at Genesis 19, I'm going to give you real quickly. There, there were several reactions when mercy opened the door and said, get out. The reactions of the people in this story are, i got to be honest, they're humorous. Because you have one reaction that just gets lost in it. Yeah, the, the son-in-laws. Did you notice that the son-in-laws didn't make it out? They got lost in it. Because when, when Lot went to his son-in-laws and he told them, he said, God's about to make it rain on this city. And I'm not talking about the kind of Las Vegas rain y'all are thinking of. He's about to make it rain. He's about to bring this thing down. They, listen, the verse 14 says, but he seemed as one that mocked under his son-in-law. His son-in-laws thought he was joking. You're sitting there at the poker table. It's 3 a.m. Here comes your future father-in-law, and he says, hey, we got to get out of here right now. There's cigar smoke in the room everywhere, cheap whiskey on the table. Some, some one-legged dude over here, bartending, crazy looking, right? Lot busts in and says, we got to go. God, they ain't heard him talk about God the whole time. Which, by the way, that's a whole other sermon right there. No wonder they didn't believe him. Who is this God you speak of? We well, never heard you bring him up before. He says, he's about to destroy this city. And they said, they said, this is a joke. In their mind, they're like, God's not going to do nothing about this. Once you get this, mercy has opened the door. Hey, whoever wants out can get out. All right, so the message is the same for you and me today. Whoever in this room wants out, you can get out. But there are people that get lost in it and go, God ain't going to do nothing about this. If God was going to do something about this, he'd have already done it. He ain't done nothing. Either he's on lunch break, he's taking a nap, or the whole world is so busy, got him so wrapped up, he ain't paying attention to me and my stupidity. God's not going to ever do anything about this. Paul said, don't you dare think God will be mocked. And don't you be deceived. Whatever you sow, you reap. God said, you want to plant tomato seeds, you're not going to have apple trees. We'll have tomato plants. And God, God said, I'm going to do something like this. But they, they got lost in it. And when you get lost in it, you get lost in it. They never made it out. And there's some people that die in a situation that they never believed was as bad as it was. And then you got people that linger with it. Absolutely. Absolutely, because when the angels came and they said, all right, man, we got to go. The sun's coming up. We're about to bring this thing to the ground. They grabbed him by the hands, and the Bible says that Lot lingered. What? You've got two angels standing here in bodily form telling you what's about to go down, and you're sitting here going, do I leave? Do I stay? Oh, let me go get the cash out of the safe. Oh, let me get my sneakers. Let me at least drive the boss hoss off the property. Let, let, me, let me take something with me. He's like, why are you waiting? Why are you hesitating? Could, could, it be that, could it be that God was dragging Lot out of a situation that he didn't really hate? 
Is there a chance he liked it? Is there a chance he was okay with it? And God's like, I'm not, I'm not waiting till you're ready. God doesn't wait till you're ready. God tells you when he's ready and then you have to take action. He says, get out. But Lot's like, oh, what do I do? And he's hesitating. And then you have those who look back at it. Look back at it. Look at, look at verse 24. Then the Lord rained upon Sodom and upon Gomorrah, brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the plain and all the inhabitants of the cities and that which grew upon the ground. So God has wiped even the seed and the ground out of existence. Verse 26. Look at this, church. But his wife looked back from behind him, and she became a pillar of salt. She's out. She got out before it went down. She got out before the fire fell. And while she's going out, as the city is being destroyed behind her, she looks back. And that phrase, look back, means to have regard for or to reconsider. She was out of Sodom. But Sodom wasn't out of her. She was out of it, but she wasn't over it. And although, listen to me, although mercy pulled her out of it, my God, although mercy had pulled her out of it, her feet were moving one direction, but her face was moving another direction. And she was frozen in time. The 21st century church is full of Christians whose feet are going one direction, but whose face is going another direction, and they are frozen in time. They're not going to go back where they came from, but they're never going to get to where they were going. They're statues on the sidewalk of Christianity. Pillars of salt. I always wonder, why, they, why did God turn her into salt? Why, why, why salt? Salt is a preservative. It was God's way of preserving her in this permanent, fixed state of stagnation. A reminder that when you look back, there's a price you pay for not being able to unhook and unhinge from the life you're trying to leave behind. That's why Jesus said, remember Lot's wife. Whosoever shall seek to save his life shall lose it, and whosoever shall lose his life shall preserve it. As the worship team helps me close, I want you to see this last point. I'll give it to you like this. You've got those people, when mercy opens the door, and they're trying to get out of a bad situation, they get lost in it. They never make it out. Some people live, listen to me, listen to me, listen to me, listen to me, listen to me. Some people live for 10 years in a situation that should have lasted 10 weeks. You had 10 weeks of bad financial decision making and it's lasted a decade. You had 10 days of bad decision making with your marriage. It was, it was stupid. Look, it was stupid. It was just stupid. But that thing lasted 10 years. Some of us adopted a mindset about ourselves, or about God or about Christianity or about our future that, that should have lasted 10 seconds and it's been 10 months and you're still frozen in time. 
But if you look at the scripture, the Bible teaches them, tells us that Lot finally left it. He finally left it. For the Bible says that God brought him out of the city, set him in the plains, and he said, run for your life. I want you to listen to the message the same. Run for your life. Like, you need to get away from this thing as far and as fast as you can, like your life and your livelihood depends on it. He said, run for your life. Look not behind thee. Listen to me. There is nothing for you over your shoulder. I don't care what it was. I don't care how you got there. I don't care who wants to remind you of it. How many of y'all know Satan has plenty of people set up on the sidewalk to remind you about where you come from? To try to remind you of where you were, what you did, who you did it with, and the price you should have paid. And it's God's mercy that got you out of that. It's God's mercy that will get you by them people. Let God's mercy speak for you. Keep your mouth shut. You don't have nothing to prove to the naysayers. Just keep on walking. Keep on moving. Don't look behind you. There's nothing in your past that compares to what God put in your future. He says, he says go, go back to that text. He says, run for your life. Don't look behind you. Don't even stay in the plane. Oh, God, here's a thought. Did you know he got in Sodom because he was camping out in the plains where he could see Sodom? God brought him back. God brought him back to where he started and said, now you got a chance to do it over. Put your back to where you came from and get away. Don't even hang right here. Get as far away as you can. He said, escape to the mountain. Here's what I want to tell you. There are some high places left in your future. Some of y'all have been in the valley so long, you have forgotten what it's like to smile and mean it. Some of us have been in the valley for so long, we've forgotten what it's like to have joy. We've been in the valley for so long, we forgot what it's like to wake up and be motivated. For some of us, we've been in the valley for so long that, that, that we can't make a Christ-centered decision. We've been in the valley so long, our mood is dry, our, our, our spirit is cold. We've just been in the valley for so long, and we feel so guilty and so shamed for putting ourselves in that situation, allowing ourselves to even get in that situation, thinking that that carrot would be worth it, and being trapped in that box for far too long. And I want to tell you something. There are still some mountaintop experiences that God's going to take you through. There's still some high places in your life that you need to see. There's still some peaks you need to stand upon. Valleys are not in your future. There's mountainscapes. There's mountain landscapes. And there's mountain peaks that God wants to take you to. Notice the last part of the text. He says, Go and escape to the mountain, lest thou be consumed. This situation is a dead end. He says, I want you to get out of it. I want you to get out of it. The Bible teaches and tells us that as he was going into the city, away from Sodom and Gomorrah, that the sun came up. It was God's way of saying it's a brand new day. It's a new opportunity. It's a new chance to start all over. If you're in this room and you're in a situation that you don't need to be in. I want you to know something. Today is God initiating his rescue mission, and he's coming to tell you, let's get out of this thing. And he's still got plenty of mercy on you. Mercy is not like your bank account. You can't withdraw all the funds and end up in the negative. It's new every morning. There's always plenty of mercy in the account. You can't run it dry. If you're in this room and you're not yet in a bad situation, but you can see it on the horizon, the ball's in your court. 
Don't ask God to do something for you you can do for yourself. You see Sodom and Gomorrah. It's the Las Vegas of your life. Do you want to pay the price? Do you really want to waste that much time, that much of your life? You don't have to live right here. You don't have to set up your tent right here. God says, I got plenty of real estate for you. You don't have to live there.